welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Join Chris and Drew, two self-proclaimed booze pundits with a life industry experience as they walk you through the alcohol business and how today's headlines affect the industry. Each week, you guys will be joined by a special guest that will help them break down these stories and offer their own expertise to the podcast. So, pour yourself a glass of your favorite drink and sit back. This is the Good Bottle Podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Chris. I'm your host, joined by my co-host, Mr. Drew Garrison, and I'm having a lovely week, and I've had enough coffee and nothing to eat today, so let's go! Drew, what's up, buddy? Oh, boy, that is just a great way to start your day. Usually, I'm in that camp, but I actually got to bed early last night, was able to wake up, work out, all the fun things. I went to my first NASCAR race yesterday, and you know, I grew up watching a lot of NASCAR, kind of like fell, you know, fell by the wayside as I got older, and had more responsibilities, but oh my God, it was just ridiculous. And I was also lucky. I got, I got some, I got a free VIP pass from, from a former colleague of mine. So I was like down in the pit area. And let me tell you, if you're into just experiencing sporting events, I cannot say enough about the NASCAR experience. Like they are so fan friendly. It is unreal. Like there was times where I was like, am I allowed to be standing here? And they were like, not only can you stand there, we encourage it. Um, I was just like way too close to things and uh, it was just, a, it was just, it was so incredible. I mean, and again, like I, I'm trying to open up myself to more new experiences and, you know, try to try to get out there and experience stuff. And it was just, it was wild. And if you're, even if you're not a fan at all, like it's impossible, especially in the scenario that I was in to like, not get a little hyped about, about the whole situation. Like it was crazy. So, so I'm buzzing from that, the roar of the engines. I was able to get up early this morning and work out. I, I don't anticipate this will continue for much longer, but I'm going to ride the wave <laughs> until, <laughs> until it ends. so, um, but yeah, man, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really excited for today's episode. Uh, we're going to be talking about a uh, new alcohol that's going into effect into California. And for two guys that are pretty clued in to the scene, we had no idea this was happening. So hopefully our listeners can take something away and, you know, kind of get their restaurants and bars ready to go. Uh, We're also going to be talking about some innovation when it comes to the, um, some seltzers and spike drinks and all that fun stuff. And spike drinks, you know, maybe not. Maybe spike, let's not well, use that them, terminology. <laughs> well, they are. It's. I mean, we'll, we'll get into it later. But one of them is called simply spiked. So oh. maybe that's something that we need to discuss further. I think we probably um, should. Yes, we should. Uh, but you know, I think one of the things that that happens with with you and I, Chris, is that you know we often pretend to be much smarter than we really are, and and I think that we get away with it quite a bit. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, I. Uh, I speak forcefully, and so people tend to go, "Okay, he must know what he's saying." Yeah, yeah, and and I think you know we've obviously we've had incredible guests, we've had very intelligent people on this, and I think we've been able to like hold our own the whole time. I think I think today the blinders come off for our listeners; they're going to find I, I out. Don't know, how man. Dumb I, we really are. <laughs> they they might, but I refuse to acknowledge the fact that I'm actually an idiot. So I'm just going to continue yeah. to live in my self deluded world. Well, our guest today is like bona fide smart with the <laughs> with the, with the credentials to it. prove it. <laughs> yeah, there's there's uh, there's paperwork involved. Um, our guest today is Dr. Jessica Spector. She is has her master's and PhD in philosophy and a scholar of social and intellectual history. She's the founder of the Academy of Drinks, which is dedicated to spirits, cocktails, and drink culture. She hosts. Classes online. She is a current professor at this little tiny university. I believe it's called Yale. 
Yale, the Yale, Yale, Yale. That's that sounds about right. <laughs> Jessica, welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. For our <laughs> listeners, why don't you share a little bit more about yourself? Now we're not drinking right now because it's early in the morning for us. It's early for you. But if you were drinking later, what would you be sipping on? <laughs> Thank you for having me. Uh, I love you guys. Um, since um, since my friend Lindo. Um, I am cookie dough, uh, uh, told me about you guys. So thank you for having me on. And we love um, Lynn. She is amazing. She you know, is everybody wonderful. go check out that episode. If you haven't listened or go buy some of her art. Cause it is really it's incredible. insane. She's fantastic. I have a, an entire, um, Lynn gallery at my, <laughs> at my house, um, and in my office. Um, it's, it's not as early here on the East coast, but, um, when I when I have a uh, I'm not drinking currently, but when I'm drinking, um, I'm into vermouth and soda right now. Kind of like um, like Andy McDowell in Groundhog Day. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. If you know that scene <laughs> with Bill Murray, uh, vermouth with um, with a twist. Um, although I love to hear my husband making a martini at five o'clock. That little stirring in the and if you know the sound of a martini being made, there's nothing like it's it. It's like it's like um, the sound of a champagne cork popping. You just know that you're in for a good time. It's you know that it's five o'clock somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that sound is like it, it's like when a dog hears the 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 kibble. <laughs> yeah, I hear that yeah. sound of him making a martini, and yeah. Um, Vermouth. So I'm exploring the world of vermouth still because vermouth vermouth is a beautiful thing. And here in the sort of New York metro area, you can get wonderful things. And I think where you guys are too, you can get wonderful things. It's it's harder in some areas. But what did yeah. you ask me? No, no, no. I think it's. <laughs> yeah. you know, this, I, I told you, like, we're just yeah. going to go off on a tangent because we're just we're, we're we're three friends hanging yeah. out talking about booze. Uh, no, I just you know obviously gave you a little bit of of the history to our listeners, but just is there anything that that you think people should know about you and what you do and and stuff like oh, that and what your contributions yeah. are to the spirits industry? I think I you know I to sum it up really quickly, like I'm interested in whenever someone says like, you can't do that bad, don't touch. I'm interested in it. So um, <laughs> sex and alcohol, you know, that's, that's what interests me. Like sex, alcohol and money where they come together. So my first book was on prostitution and pornography. And I'm, I'm doing a follow-up to that now on the cultural history of prostitution. But in between um, I've been working on for the last half decade um i've been teaching at yale on um the cultural history and around cocktails and it it's still all connected to being a philosophy professor so i i work on ethics um but i'm also just really interested in in alcohol that sounds funny the way you no no it, it makes sense but, to us um, <laughs> Um, so my background is as a Scottish Enlightenment scholar. So when I was 25, I lived in Edinburgh for a while and um, got really into whiskey, in, into scotch. And I figured out a way to get paid for for working on that. So um, I'm a I'm a whiskey girl, and um, and cocktails are really interesting, and they're really interesting as sort of an American story about. Um, the history of I, I like to study the history of stuff through other stuff. So I study the history of America through drinks. 
No, I think that's awesome. That's obviously a big fan of what we like to do as well. So now for students of Yale, I mean, is your class like constantly waitlisted? Because I feel like a typical college student would be like, give me all the booze classes that I can get and get credit for. Yeah, it's um, it's capped at 15 people. The, the drink culture class that I co-teach with John Clark Gennetti, who is one of my best friends and the best co-teacher in the world. Um, we co-teach, currently we're teaching it as drink culture. We've taught various versions of it um, over the past few years um, and had to teach it online during uh, the pandemic. Um, we just got back into the classroom this year. Um, it's capped at 15 kids because it's a seminar um, and there's no drinking in the class. It's a real college class with papers and assignments and grades. Um, we had 200 applicants this year. And it's really hard to choose um, who's in the class. But the Yale system is um, we teach in a in a program where um, the kids have to. They're not kids. They're adults. But they, they're, you know, 21, 22. And right. they have to apply to be in the class and we have to choose. And it, it's tough to, to choose. What's the what's the application process like? I mean, because I remember choosing classes and it was literally just I want this class. And then sometimes you would get waitlisted. Um do they have to like fill something out or like that, like make a case to you guys to be added to the they slip class? a 20 under the door. <laughs> there you go. Step That's number one. <laughs> and, and you're editing this later, right? Um, oh yeah, and, totally. <laughs> and I no longer work at Yale. Um, and <laughs> uh, they, you know, I say this every year and they, and still some, some people don't get it. Um, they say why they want to be in the class. And, you know, I still get some students who are like, because it's what fit in my schedule. Um, that, that oh, really God. Funny. And <laughs> right. And then there are people who are like, because it looks really neat. And those people always go to the top of the list. Um, right. Right. Of course. Right. Um, and, you know, seniors get preference because they're graduating. Um, and it's, you know, just passion is what what goes to the top of the list. Um, I don't know when I, I, I'm old. And when I was in college at not Yale, um, when, when uh, in NASCAR land, um, we just, the, the classes I wanted, no one else wanted to take. I was a philosophy major. So I just signed up and I always got the class I wanted because no one else yeah. wanted to take philosophy. Um, uh, I don't know how it is how, for these kids and what it's like, like, that kind of stress of, you know, you don't get the class you want. Um, but I, I'm not in that position. I get to choose. So I don't know what to say. No, that's awesome. I think, um, you know, one of the things that really resonates for, for Chris and I is, you know, the, what you said about kind of exploring history through different aspects of it. And both Chris and I are fascinated by spirits history. I mean, I think you can see that through the guests that we have, the books that we read and and things like that. And, and I'm always talking about it during my trainings where it's like, you know, spirits have shaped the world unlike any other one. And every culture figured out some way to get intoxicated, you know, whether it was wine, beer, you know, spirits, like everybody figured it out to a certain degree. I realize that this is a, this is a huge open-ended question. There's a million different things that, that kind of come across, but through your research and through the years that you've been doing this, 
are there is there any kind of origin story of a spirit or something like culturally significant in regards to booze that you kind of always think about a lot that you're just like like that just that is so funny to me or that is so indicative of where we're at today or, or anything like that because you have a you have a quote where it's not you know you don't believe that history repeats itself it's like history is more of a spiral effect that it has and it you know factors kind of come back around and I think that was really really interesting and I kind of want to hear like. Yeah, what you see with that. Oh. Yeah. Um I I think of the fact that um spirits well, the term spirit um repeats in a lot of cultures. And I'm gonna kinda answer your question by not answering your question. But Fantastic. Um, <laughs> the the expression the water of life too. Like whiskey, Ushkava in in Gaelic. Um whiskey comes from Ushkava which is the water of life. I mean, that's the same expression in a lot of languages too, right? It's like, we think cultures are so different and in some ways they are, but the way people look at booze is really similar across a lot of cultures. Of course, there are exceptions, but people like to get buzzed. (laughs) They they like um, alcohol for a lot of the same reasons. It, it builds community. It, it's, you know, the watering hole in the hearth, my co-teacher likes to say, you know, people are drawn around the watering hole in the hearth. And um, so it's not one particular spirit that the origin story interests me. It's, it's all of them that interests me, mm-hmm. um, that interest me. Um, I, I, what's interesting me right now is the way um, immigrants in the 19th century in this country brought with them their drinks, like like Italian immigrants. I'm not Italian, but the story of Italian immigrants in this country like brought vermouth here and made like the best drink in the world, the Manhattan. You know, like by bringing with them their thing, mm. and that changed everything. So like, that's not like the origin story of a spirit, but it's the origin story of the cocktail. Um, so like that, that's like kind of captured my imagination now. And that's why I'm doing a deep dive into vermouth. Now, is it, is it for when you're identifying these different topics that you want to dive into, is it just kind of like a spin the wheel, you know, stops like, you know what, you're right. I haven't tackled vermouth yet. Like, let's see what happens or is like with the vermouth, was there something that's that spurred it for you that you're kind of like, you're like, Oh, I need to go down this rabbit hole. Um, no, it's, it's usually like, so when the pandemic hit, um, people were, I was working on the 1920s and reporters started calling me asking about, um, what they were calling the Spanish flu. And, people called it the Spanish flu because only Spanish newspapers were reporting on it because Spain was neutral during the, um, the first world war for a while. Um, Mm. but it, it wasn't the Spanish flu. It was just in Spanish newspapers. Um, so the, the, the flu at that time, um, you know, had a lot of similarities to COVID, um, in the way things played out. And so reporters were calling me and asking me about it. So I started, you know, paying a lot more attention to similarities between what was going on a hundred years ago and now. And then I started looking back like historians do a lot um, 
at what led up to some of the social stuff that was going on in the 20s. And that led me back to the 1890s, the 1880s. And because I'm interested in alcohol and sex, I was looking at attitudes toward sex and alcohol in the 1880s and 1890s. And, and that led me to vermouth. And I was working with um, the, um, the founder of Women Who Whiskey, who you guys may know, um, Julia Toffoli. And we did an um, online class on vermouth together. And, uh, and she knows a lot about vermouth. And um, so I just went down that rabbit hole for a while. I, I get paid to go down rabbit holes, um, which is really fun. I, I got to awesome. ask a question that I'm certain my our, our listeners want to know, which is what did you find about what they, the general sentiment towards sex and alcohol was at that period in time? Um, that, well, that, I mean, we can spend a couple hours <laughs> that now um, that people tend to think this is interesting. People tend to think that, past times were more conservative than present times in general. And that's not true. Um, we're not on this general trajectory of more openness and more liberal times now, socially liberal with a small L. Um, people were um, a lot more open about sex and booze in the 19th century, like in the 1870s, 1880s, um, than they are now. We live in very socially conservative times now. I mean, that's changing again. But like Chicago in the um, post-Civil War time period was a cesspool of sin and, and booze. I mean, people think of New Orleans as, and Las Vegas gets called Sin City, but Chicago was total Sin City. Um, you know, prostitution was legal. Um, people drank way more alcohol and it was a lot more expensive than now. It, alcohol has never been cheaper by the drink in this country than now. It's very cheap and people drink way less of it now than a hundred years ago, 150 years ago. So that's something that um, surprised me to learn. And when you're, when you are learning these things, like uh, a friend of mine, you might probably aware of like Matt Petrick who does like cocktail wonk and stuff like, yeah, you know, he has the subscriptions to newspapers all over the world. And then which, then grants him access to archives. And that's how he does a lot of his research. Um, what is your research style? Like what, I mean, like, you know, finding out these things like Chicago was a cesspool. I mean, where does one go for that information? That's interesting. He's great. Um, and he knows more than most anybody about the history of rum. In yeah. That way. Agreed. Um, yeah. It's interesting. A lot of people do newspaper research. But newspaper research will only tell you what is in newspapers and what was in newspapers. And mm -hmm. if you think now about what this isn't a criticism, but it, it's 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 a snapshot newspaper stories. I mean, think about now what's in newspapers. Right? Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, so I when I say that I do social and cultural history, that's. I mean, this is sort of inside baseball stuff, but that's my way of saying I don't just do public history. So like I look at letters and um, material culture, like I'll look at labels. I go into archives um, 
so I'm, I'm trained as, as an historian. So like I, I've, you know, put on the white gloves and, you know, go into um, libraries and look at like collections they have of that somebody bequeathed like their entire, you know, estate somewhere. And you have to like actually flip through people's letters and you can go into a junk shop and find stuff and figure out um, that some some piece of art was made by somebody by looking to see who was paid to make that piece of, you know, that somebody paid somebody at that time period and then look at the signature on the back and, you know, like figure out what was what was made at a certain time and you got to do some detective work and it takes a long time. And it's, you know, I'm looking at the posters behind Drew and thinking somebody had to, um, he's got posters, um, like alcohol posters on the wall behind him and thinking somebody had to, had to either know who the artist was for those posters or had to figure out who the artist was. And that means that their provenance had to already be known or, an art historian had to figure out who actually made those posters. And that's not a simple thing. That means somebody had to like go into some archives or go into like, um, you know, the financial records of the company that, that hired the poster artist. And, and like, that's, that's like monotonous, tedious work. And so some of what I do is monotonous and tedious. And I'll be like going to Edinburgh this summer and trying to research, um, some historical records um, of the Laird family, which I was working on before COVID to try and figure out when the ancestors of the Laird family, you know, who own Laird's Applejack, when they came here in the 1600s. And I was working on that for several years ago and that got stopped because I couldn't travel and stuff. Um, so, so like little projects like that lead up to, you know, maybe like a paragraph in something that I'll write down the road and it takes you know, many steps to do that kind of work. Right. Right. And so with, with that being the case, um, do you find that most people are, are pretty open about letting you have access to that things? Is it kind of like, yes. you like, you like, you like flash your PhD and they're kind of like, yeah, you can come right on in or how's that work? I never flash my PhD because I'm a lady. <laughs> but, no, um, you know, I've never been turned away and, and I never, flash anything. I just ask. I just say, and people are so nice about, um, to give the layers as an example, I, I just, I don't remember whether I called them up or emailed them and said, can I come talk to you? And, um, Lisa Laird Dunn, who's, you know, is of the Laird fam, 10th generation and, and, um, God, I didn't ask if I could mention her name, but I don't think she'll mind. Um, she was like, come out to New Jersey. And, and you know, they don't have like a, a showroom or anything. And she spent the day with me and showed me around and gave me family history and checked with the rest of her family and said that I could look at their papers and stuff. And just people are really nice about that kind of thing, you know, in Scotland and in America and, you know, and in the Caribbean and I think most people who really care about, you know, I haven't asked at big corporations. I've asked at craft distillers and, and bars. And I think most people who really care as you guys do, given what you do are happy to talk about what they care about 
mm. and happy to show their stuff. And, and they're, they're in this industry because they care about it. Right. So yeah, I, I, when I ask people to come out to my class and talk to my students, I don't have a budget to pay them and they haul ass out to New Haven. Can I say ass on your show? Please. You sure they can. They haul ass out. <laughs> they haul tushy. They haul tuchus out to, out to New Haven and spend the day, which is, you know, not near anything and, and spend the day talking to my students because they want to. Yeah. I think that's, I, I think that's one of the things that has been so great about this podcast just for Chris and I, because more often than not, we are always blown away when people say yes to us. Um, and then well, you, you guys just... are paying me, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's in the mail. It's in the mail. It's in the mail. Right. Um, but you know, it, it's just, it is cool. It's fun to talk about this stuff. It's fun to find like-minded individuals. And I think you know, what we've really come to learn and, you know, like, so like this conversation that we're having right now, like we've talked on the phone, we've emailed, but this is our first kind of like, you know, really kind of in-depth chat and it's when you do have like when people like you just kind of figure it out and you kind of run with it and go, you know, and so often a lot of our guests, especially these days, because we're, you know, we've gotten more ambitious with our guest lists and we're really kind of putting ourselves out there. It like it always blows me away. People are like, yes. And then it goes well. Like, that's the one that always like surprises me because to your point. It is. Yeah. There's this enthusiasm for it and there's this excitement to talk about it. And, you know, it's just like you're geeking out on anything. You know, it's just spirits, comic books, yeah. movies, whatever the case may be. Um, so before we get into our top articles, I do have I have one more question for you, because, I mean, obviously, I can't help but to think about just like Indiana Jones this entire time and just like, you know, coming across something that you're just yes, like, oh, my, me. like we found the we found the arc. Has there has there ever been a time um, you know, where, I'm not saying that the you know, the big stone ball is about to fall onto you if they run out of there, but it's like you find something that you're kind of like, you're like, Oh my God, I can't believe I just found this. Like this just connected all of these different things because I found this, this piece of artifact or this verification that I needed to move this forward. Can, is there anything about come to mind with that? While the Nazis are chasing yes, you. I, While the Nazis are chasing you. Yes. Always. always. <laughs> um, I'm glad you used that because I went to grad school where Indiana Jones did university of Chicago course um yeah. and um and somebody gave me an apple and it and i blushed no um i'm sorry i'm a real readers <laughs> fan clearly um, i love it like, what are you talking about i absolutely about? love it um and and harrison ford was also a philosophy major and we're gonna now talk about that movie um <laughs> and um although the sequels not so much um we can talk about Star Wars next, and then you can really know what a geek I am. No, I'm uh, all in. So, I'm all in. You're just hitting. You're hitting all of my talking points right now. So okay, yeah. let's yeah, let's get on our late. Series. I currently have a really droid in my hand that I've been fiddling with the whole time. So like this is, I love it. That okay. is a real thing that just happened. So <laughs> he does. Yeah, it's a real I, thing. He's not a real thing. That I'll take. I'll take a okay. picture. Put it on the for the photo. So um, there we go. But yeah, go ahead. We're like a like a cool find. What what I think is really cool. I was like, oh my god, tell them about that. And then I'm realizing, I think it sounds cool. I'm not sure other people are gonna. I'm like, that's I our favorite kind. Um, the the okay. I mentioned the Laird family because I was thinking I'm gonna get back to Scotland this summer and I'm gonna because I think I can connect the Laird family to the to the Darien um, story and the Darien settlement. Um, you know, there's like 
there's sea shanties about it and stuff. And you guys are probably like, what the hell is she talking what, what, about? Okay, so what's but, what's the Darien uh, uh, colony? Oh, God. Um, okay, so, like, there was this... It, it makes the Madoff scandal look like... Um, I don't... I'm, now I got to finish this because it sounds like I'm saying something really bad about the lyrics that I'm not. Um, there was this horrible um, uh, scandal scam thing that broke Scotland in in before um, the Union of the Crowns, like in the 1600s, and it led to Scotland having to. Um, Scotland was devastated financially and had to agree to the union of the crowns with England. And I think the Laird's ancestor um, came to um, the new world, new world in quotes, um, came to the Americas as one of the um, people who was suckered into that. And I don't have proof yet, but I've got to um, go and find the proof for it. And I could be wrong. This could be nothing. But I was so excited when I when I found what I thought were the hints that it might be proof for that. It's not the Ark of the Covenant, but um, <laughs> but for a Scottish historian, um, it was really sexy stuff to find. And I so a few years ago when I went out to the Lairds, I I showed the the beginnings of what I thought I had found to the Lairds and they were like, cool, that looks neat. Yeah. We'll let you see our family stuff for it. And then COVID hit. And so I couldn't do it, but, um, but I got to go to Scotland and look in like church records and stuff and see if I can find this ancestor before he came here and look at ships manifests and stuff like that. And now there is so much stuff um, online, you know, like ancestry.com and stuff. Um, and that's really cool, but I got to actually get into like church basements and convince people to let me look through, you know, like these big old ledger books that'll open like, you know, like the dust will puff up from them. And sometimes stuff that's online is wrong and has been transcribed wrong. And I got to actually look and I got to look at the National Library of Scotland. And that would be a really cool thing to to find. Um to trace that out because the Laird's brand, you know, Laird's Applejack was the first um, licensed distillery in the U S that's right. They still, they still have uh distillery. Number one in, in distillery. In, number one, in New Jersey. And take that New York. Ha. Yeah. And it's a really cool thing. <laughs> and, and they still exist and they're, there's their family owned and 10th generation. And they were, they're the first American spirit. And that's just very cool. So I, so I do want to expand on that. and I, But I also want to point out that uh, Jessica's getting very into this. So at times she's tapping her desk for emphasis. And I, and I know Justin from Kohana is going to talk to me about it. So it's not another audio oh. issue. It's just enthusiasm. So if anyone is hearing that. It's like also just talks to us about everything. I'm sorry, is, I'm like you know, bouncing up and down and banging on my no, desk. No, no, no. I, I just, I, I just want people. To, I just want people to know that that's that's what that is. I enjoy how um, animated so, of a speaker you are. So no, I really do too. And we are also <laughs> like that, but we've also been trained to like like I, I I always sit back from my desk so I don't do it the whole time, which is hence the reason there's a droid in my hand so I don't touch anything. Um, 
Uh, I should be like the teacher in Ferris Bueller. I should just be like, and then, yeah, like this, <laughs> and then. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um. So, okay. what? Now you, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but you know, as you're going through things and you and you are seeing that people are, are misinterpreting stuff because. You know, I've read some older, you know, some older things. And I'm actually still in the oh, middle did of we a, lose Drew. Nope, oh, Drew. Uh, re- repeat what you just said. We had some technical. Okay, okay, yeah, you guys froze on me. Um, so with with the things that you're researching, like sometimes even though it's all in English, it can feel like you're reading a different language. I know that anytime I've looked at old texts or even some of the history books that I read, like you know. You know, in the, in the history books I read, they, they do a good job of being like, you know, they're saying this, but this is what it meant back then. Um, it, I mean, how difficult can that end up being, especially trying to translate like old slang terms and things of that nature? Yeah, um, sometimes translating from Scots, um, Scots is not Gaelic, Scots is a cousin to English. Um, translating from Scots is a little more dangerous than if it were in French. Or Italian, because mm. um, for those reasons, yeah, yeah. Okay, I just want to. I just I can only imagine being in that. You know, flipping up, flipping that huge book open. First of all, just trying to read it. You know, because everyone's penmanship obviously varies. Uh, I'm sure back then as much as it's today, but that's just. It's like Gandalf when he's down in the. Sorry. In the. <laughs> so many pop culture nerdy stuff. I'd love it. This is like, this is the best. Um, all right. Well, I think it's time for our opinions on facts that we've heard from reputable sources. Okay. So the first thing we're going to talk about might be the most important story that we've covered in a very long time. I mean, typically we use this stuff as just kind of like the umbrella topic for what we're going to get into, but like this one's like actually very important and we had no idea it was going on. Um, there is a new alcohol law that's going into existence where um, it's, it's called the responsible beverage service training act. Um, it's going to require bartenders, waitstaff and managers to undergo a three to four hour training on how alcohol affects the body consequences of overserving, and basic alcohol laws. Also how to deal with inebriated customers. Uh, it is, like I said, three to four hours, and then they must pass a two hour open book exam. The law goes into effect on July 1st here in California, and it will, uh, and the ABC, which is your alcohol beverage control expects it to be completed by August 31st. Um, this is probably, this is going to affect approximately 56,000 different establishments. Uh, there's a $3 fee to get your nine digit code to then sign up to take the test, which can range anywhere from $8 up to $40, depending on what kind of class you did. It's all ran by third party, um, providers as well. Uh, once you take the class, you have 30 days to complete it and it has to be at least 70% or better or better. If you do not complete that course, you then within that three days, you have to go through the process again. Okay, Jessica, you have completed this course. Um, do you anticipate after going through it any pushback from dive bars in California on something like this? Yeah, um, I'm confused about it the three to four hours because the thing I did was 75 minutes. So maybe I screwed up and did the wrong thing. 
Or Which, maybe it's um, also something that people have complained about that it is actually yeah. kind of confusing. So, um, well, I mean, maybe maybe they are like saying that it's three to four hours, and then when you see it seventy five, you get excited. You're like, oh, I guess I can do this. You know? Yeah, that doesn't sound like government. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, so when you said we were going to talk about this, I I signed up and and did the course. I didn't take the test yet, so maybe I would fail it. Um, it sounded like tip streaming, right? Yeah. Which is voluntary in some states and mandatory in others. And I'm still not clear on what the difference is. Um, mm-hmm. And I tried to find out. This is funny because, you know, it's easier to to do the Gandalf archive thing than it was to. I didn't get that. Could you try again? <laughs> Siri wants to know. Yeah. Is, is do you call your do you call Siri Gandalf? Is that what is that what happened here? You know, <laughs> I, you know what I think that's. I think Siri has a point because it was easier <laughs> to find out where Robert Laird's um, came from. It's gonna, at least initially, than it was for me to figure out. And I spent an hour on this for me to figure out, and I still don't have an answer. What the difference is between the RBS thing you're you're talking about and tips training and i the the most recent information i could find was from 2009 on whether tips training is required or not in what states that wasn't very clear oh what states required tips training and what the difference was between tips training and rbs i don't actually think that i mean my two cents I, i don't think that it's bad to to have this stuff be um, standard bartender training that's required. The problem is that it's impossible to figure this stuff out. I, I, and I'm not, um, I'm not especially savvy on this stuff. I'm not especially stupid on this stuff. And I couldn't figure it out. The, yeah, the $3 I, that is, it's just sort of insulting. The, the state should pay for that. I would think that's my feeling. Um, and the $13 on the backs of people who don't make much more than that per hour is, is also just another slap in the face to people who've been hurt in the last two years. I, I think you didn't ask my opinion, but that's no, no, no. I but I, but I think that's important to point out. So this was something that was put forward by a former Congresswoman who's now no longer in office. Um, that was prompted by an unfortunate DUI accident that resulted in the death of two UC San Diego students and, and, uh, injured a few others. Um, I think this is in, and, and we kind of, we really saw it, uh, manifest over the last two years, but and and again, like this was this was put was put into play years ago before the pandemic hit it, and I think it's just more of uh, you know, going after a group of people who don't have representation, and you know, you look at the restaurant and bar industry is it's one of the more heavily regulated industries that we have. Like you're you're dealing with multiple agencies when it comes to just trying to operate from day to day, right? And this is just another example of government being like, well, we can't regulate a whole much, so we're going to regulate this even more. Um, and, and to your point, uh, Jessica, as well, like I think the fact that it's not free blows my mind and that it has created an entirely new industry. So you can go to ABC's website and they will link you to an Excel spreadsheet, which is very poorly set up, by the way. 
And it will list around, uh, I think it was like 35 to 40 different third-party organizations that you can then register either as an individual or as a bar restaurant to get certified. Um, you know, again, this is just something that costs more money. And uh, and I don't necessarily, you know, understand. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm curious to see like what the follow-through will be uh, on it. And then my, my, my final question, which I wasn't able to find in my research was if you complete this at one restaurant, does that now just apply to you everywhere you go that you've now done this, which I'm curious, is this going to be a yearly certification? Um, you know, there's just a lot of things that it just seems, you know, vague and yeah, it should be free for everyone everywhere. Chris, I, uh, you know, obviously you've spent a lot of time in both bars and restaurants. You've done uh, lots of different certifications and things like through those restaurants. What were your thoughts as you were looking at this and your reaction? Uh, my initial reaction was it's sort of about time. I am not terribly surprised that, that this um, sort of turn of events occurred. I'm, I'm surprised about the timing of it uh, to be completely honest. You know, I, like you said, Drew, both you and I were, were kind of stunned by the fact that neither of us knew that this was happening. Uh, it was passed in 2017. So, you know, that helps with with not really knowing and it also seems problematic that there hasn't been like this huge um uh pr push uh from abc or from you know government that you know tells everyone that they need to be doing this um it's, it's honestly really surprising, but there are a lot of states that, that require this sort of thing. You know, Las Vegas requires people to sit through classes. I believe Hawaii does as well. Uh, Oregon. Yeah. Even to do Oregon a guest does. spot in Hawaii, you have to, you have to, you have to get a uh, license. Yeah. So th that's not really surprising. Um, it, I'm not really certain what the statistics suggest in terms of um, the efficacy whether whether or not this actually will will solve anything um or if it's just you know a, another another step or another hurdle i i for one am, am all all for making making things safer for people and and education leaning leaning towards leaning towards the safety side um i don't i don't see any harm in it except for the fact that it costs something which i think is i think is just kind of outrageous in, in in multiple places um what i was really happy that that uh this uh article that that will will lead um send put the link as we always do into our into our show notes uh that they reached out to jerry jolly uh jerry jolly is one of the the, the first um alcohol professionals like legal legal consultants and whatnot that i met when i moved to sacramento uh, he's just a really lovely man um his his office is right here in midtown in uh in sacramento and he's just he's a he's very uh by the book kind of guy but also very um very um what's the word i'm looking for he he he's really he's really adamant about, about facts instead of, instead of sort of uh, the, you know, the feelings about things or, or just, or just making 
making choices because they seem seem to be right. Uh, and as the ex ex uh, director of ABC, he's he's very very keen on on portraying the the correct information. And uh, come to find out that he's actually started doing this. He's he's created a whole program, which is uh, funny because I think back to our initial conversation. And it was one of the things that that he and I had talked about when I first moved here. It was uh, it was sort of the impetus of our of our meeting, and we were talking about uh, creating creating a tips um, certification uh, program. So if if I were to, if I were and actually because I have not taken it yet and I I need to, uh, I will be going through the Jerry Jolly program, knowing knowing full well that that how um, how much he takes the correct information uh, seriously. Be, I, it, one of the reasons that, that I, I say that, and I think that is when I was, when I was young and stupid uh, as opposed to being old and stupid, uh, I myself got a DUI. Um, I was like 25. It was a bad, bad, sad point in time in my life, but I had to go through the state mandated um, sort of a DUI course and the amount of, of, factually incorrect things and fear mongering that they, they put through those programs, which are also, um, uh, you know, third party programs was just outrageous. I mean, it's really, it really should be criminal because they have people locked in rooms for a set mandated amount of time. And the fact that they're giving you false information as opposed to like real information when you could actually be educating people, you know, in real time, you know, what the effects of alcohol and how to, how to, how to, you know, better set people up and, and give them the right tools as opposed to just being like, you drank and drive, you killed everyone who's ever died, um, is, is pretty outrageous. So, uh, for my money, I'm, I'm definitely going to go through a, a certified alcohol training.com, which is Jerry Jolly's program. Uh, Jessica, which one did you go through just out of curiosity? Um, readytraining.com. I think that's the name of it. All right. It was the top one on the spreadsheet. Interesting. What do you, uh, Jesse, what what do you anticipate the response being from bars and restaurants? I mean, like, as, as I said, I mean, I feel like there's in the article, um, you know, I think it was either, was it the death and taxes guys or was the death and co, um, we're, you know, talking about how we want to instill this in other places. And I think it makes sense for certain programs that they would embrace it to that level where it's like, yeah, we want to knock this out and, and get it done. I'm, I mean, what do you think the overall reaction would be? Because, I mean, there's definitely a couple bars that I've been to that I would be shocked if the bartender is going to sit through a <laughs> two hour course and then take a test after just to serve some beers. Yeah. It's funny. I'm I'm going to call my um, partner, my teaching partner, um, and ask him. But sometimes I'm surprised that I what I think is going to bother him doesn't. He actually teaches tips um, courses, but what I'm going to think bother him doesn't because um, although he's a business owner and owns a couple of places and stuff, um, the the it's more of a hassle to him to have drunk patrons um, and his staff over serving people. And, you know, so at the end of the day, um, having well-trained staff is better Mm -hmm. for him. And 
you know, I, I'm speaking for someone, but, and I shouldn't, but, um, sometimes he's like, it's just, it's just the way it is. Well, you know, as someone, as someone who, who, who is opening a bar and who's managed many, I, I, I completely agree with that. The, the, um, being, being able to properly serve, uh, customers, drunk patrons are the worst. I mean, I, it's, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. I mean, you have somebody who's totally lovely, and then all of a sudden they just flip the switch and they become a handful, and your baby's they trash your place. Awful. They do damage to other people. Yeah, yeah, they do damage to your reputation as a as a place of business. Yeah. Um, it hurts. It hurts your bottom line because people then, you know, have bad experience with that person. And they don't want to run into that person again, so they don't want to come back yeah. and spend money. It's it's it really is a, a big thing. It. it and this has always been a, a point of uh, interest to me that that a lot of uh, bars and restaurants don't spend time training their staff. You know, they just they they treat their staff as bodies and disposable, um, simply just to pull money out of their patrons. Um, and well, it's it's Chris, really let, surprising to me. Let me ask you this question because you are on the verge of opening up a new spot that you know will eventually have alcohol. Um, you know, and you'll need staff to, to man it with your mindset towards this, that it is, are you going to be comfortable? Like, let's say, let's say that this stuff does become universal, right? Like you can check someone's pin and yeah, they got certified. Like, are you going to trust other people's programs, you know, or are you going to want to take people and be like, Hey, I prefer that you go through Jolly's course. I don't care that you've done this before. But for my own sake of mind, as a business owner, I want you to do this through my preferred program. Because again, this is, I mean, yeah, the list is like 40 different third parties long. So um, what do you think your your approach will be with this? Because this is obviously something that you're going to have to uh, deal with. Because, you know, most people in our industry do not work at one place. They work at several places, so I, I'm curious. I mean, I, I mean, again, I don't know because I wasn't able to find the answer on this, and I'm of the mindset that I don't necessarily ever want to put myself on ABC's, you know, level of them knowing who I am by asking them questions and stuff. So, um, you know, what what are your thoughts towards that and the potential situation that you might be facing very soon? Yeah, you know, that's a that's a good question. I I am uncertain, honestly. I I. I have to do some more some more research about it, but uh, my gut reaction is probably I I won't I won't require staff to take any particular one unless I hear um, and and get enough information about one being a massive problem and and you know devolving out into you know fear mongering and whatnot. Um, I'd yeah. much rather have staff be properly trained with real facts um, rather than things that just make them scared because that's just, that just inhibits good service and, and good hospitality. And, and yeah. uh, but realistically, if you've gone through some sort of training, um, I find it funny that they tell you that that's test takes two hours. Um, it seems like an odd Odd thing. Maybe that's just the typical timing well, of an exam. It's but. just no. That's the so the the two hours is the is the window that you have to complete the exam. Oh, okay. And, I and misunderstood it, that. And it is it, it is an open book exam, mm-hmm. right? 
which anyone who's ever taken an open book exam knows just how easy those can be. And then also kind of just how ridiculous sometimes those things end up being. We're kind of like, okay, well, what are we really trying to learn things here? You know, I, I, for one, I'm a terrible test taker just because I, I always um, overanalyze questions uh, and, and, you know, I'm a, clearly I'm a wealth of information, but I, uh, I, I, I'm not gonna. I, 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 mean, I, have, I totally, you know. I totally get what you're saying. I mean, I re- I remember when I got certified through the CRT, and one of my buddies uh, that took it at the same time as me got a like a two points higher on the test. Right, we both passed, but he got like a little bit higher. And I just remember coming back to him. I was like, "Listen, man, if you look at these questions, I'm pretty sure I can justify the answers that I have mm-hmm. for those. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was making those arguments in my head, and I feel like I, you know, people would be like, okay, we'll give you half a point for it.' You know, yeah. so I mean, I mean I when I it. when I took when I took the W set, um, you know, I I had to ask the proctor. I was like, this this language could mean this or this, and he's like, you're trying too hard, man. <laughs> he's like, it's the most simple <laughs> version of this. I was like, heard, okay, gotcha, um. And, uh, but back, back to, back to this exam, I, I think that with a base information will make my job easier as a, as a manager and as an owner or proprietor, because I can just turn around and say, okay, this information that you got from any one of these courses, this is how we're going to apply that information rather than saying, rather than having somebody else do the training for me, I can take a base level of education and, and apply it in a, in a, in a more uh, systematic way. Makes my job easier. Yeah. Don't high school health classes cover a lot of this information? I don't know what high school health covers at all anymore. I've got to be completely honest. I, yeah. I took high school health in Ohio. And um, I remember, I remember the conversation then being, a lot about, um, um, you know, um, what, um, what's the term? STDs. No, no, no. About, about, uh, 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 (laughs) preaching non, non, non non-sex until marriage. Abstinence. Abstinence. Oh, that's the main question. Abstinently, abstinence only education. (laughs) And, uh, I remember being, feeling very lucky that I went to a high school, a public high school that didn't, didn't fall into that. Yeah, I just remember I've got- for my health class was like drunk drunk goggles. That's the only thing drunk I recall. Goggles, drunk goggles. Are you serious? Yeah, they yeah. put they put drunk goggles <laughs> yeah, yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that as well. To simulate what it was like <laughs> oh to be God. drunk. And I was like Let was me tell like, you. That's incorrect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not not the deterrent they thought it was gonna be. I'll say that. Uh, <laughs> you went and ordered some on Amazon. Yeah, that's yeah. Actually, thinking about that, I was like, I bet you probably could get those on Amazon. I've also been, be I've also that. been waiting for all these people to start giving me free drugs that uh, I was told would exist. Uh. Yeah, that's also a thing. I mean, I've been you a bartender, so I've gotten a little bit of free drugs, but not, not enough. <laughs> I've um, got four kids between fifteen and twenty-one, and the all I could think after this course was, "This looks like their health class." So I don't. I don't understand the big, I don't like the charging people who get paid by the hour, um, you know, more money to do stuff like this. But I didn't understand the big deal about, about this law when, I mean, I, I, I know not every college offers this. Yale offers a tips class. Um, my kids' high schools offered a class like this. So I didn't understand the big deal about 
this new California requirement. Um, I just don't like that it costs money, but. Yeah, yeah I think, a, that, I think the, the, overall, the overall sentiment is that, right? Is that it's like, okay, like, yeah, fine. Educate yourself. Let's add more knowledge to, to the pool. But, you know, especially with this surplus that California just announced that we have, are we really dinging hourly employees an extra, you know, yeah. twenty to forty dollars to not oversurf people? It's that's, like, a, that's a really great so, point too. You know, I mean, because they're charging three dollars per head, which is like, come on, that's a, that's just a fuck you, really. Like, and then you're, it, it it really is, and it's also like it's an adding people to the system who, you know, maybe don't want to be part of that system, and I think that you know, there's. I think there's there's a lot of people who are drawn to this industry, especially in the bartender world, where it's just like it's easy money. It's you know not all. I, mean, I wouldn't say easy money, but um, you know you can kind of just do whatever. Not a whole lot of paperwork involved, and just go sling some drinks and make some cash. And now you want people to pay three dollars so they can just get activated in order to enter a pin to then pay more money to take a course. It just seems very silly, and and of course. There will be restaurants, and, and I expect the chains to do this, and you know, and a lot of people out there, just, they'll they'll end up covering the cost for their employees. But I am curious to see what that looks like, especially in today's environment where there is a lot of turnover. There's always been a lot of turnover, and now you have to certify every single person. I mean, there's people who who show up, work a week, and then they're gone the next, right? I mean, and if you're and if you're an employer, and you know, that happens. And unfortunately, that happens pretty often in this business. It's like, okay, well, would we lose on getting people, you know, certified this year? Like, what was that? Like, these people last, you know, what, where's the value if they're not there? Like, what? And I think that's another thing, another burden on our industry that people need to figure out of that. And then if it does translate from one location to the next, I mean, that to me seems like it makes the most sense, but you know, to kind of bring it back, it to things with government often don't. So, well, it's really what's uh, interesting is right. Like we're talking about this pin with ABC is, you know, everybody who touches food has to get a food handler's, um, you know, yeah, permit. You don't need a pin for that. You just, you know, you get certified. You have it. It's there. Right. Right. And right. You, had, you. So that's. It's just odd to me that there. There's now this additional. Um, additional government body that that is already underfunded already can't can't keep up with the work that they're that they're being told that they need to do uh and now now they're being forced to keep a database of people that theoretically is up to date i i don't see it going well listen buddy put on your tinfoil hat man this is how (laughs) this is how it starts they're coming from my bottles out of my cold dead hands yeah, it's like we're we're all going to be in the system now. But I mean, all right, so you, just, just, I've been in that system a long time. It's nothing's yeah. happening. Yeah. Okay, and so in our next article, uh, we're just talking about Coca Cola and its ever expanding experimentations into the hard seltzer world. So um, they kicked it off with Topo Chico which they took this beautiful, awesome brand and just Coca-Cola'd it, uh, which Chris, to go back in time in our friendship, when it originally, when Coca-Cola originally bought Topo Chico, I was excited because I was like, we're finally going to be able to get Topo Chico literally everywhere. 
and you were like, they're going to ruin it. And here we are years later. You can get Topo Chico everywhere. They have in parts ruined it. We're both right. Um, but they are, so they're, they were, they launched that as their seltzer. I just hear you saying that I was right. That's, that's all that I hear. There is a brand that they do called simply spiked, which we alluded to earlier, probably not the greatest thing to be calling something. Uh, and then they also do a Fresca mixed drink. Uh, you know, there will be a time when scholars like you, Jessica, will have to look back at this time frame and be like seltzers dominated the world. Why the hell did this happen? Um, what do you think they're going to find when they look back on this either great or horrific time in in alcohol in, uh, history? I think it won't be 2020 to 2022. I think it'll be 100 years before this. I, I mean, Topo Chico was the first distributor of Coca-Cola in Mexico. Um a uh, hundred years ago, 80 years ago. I, I'm not a scholar of that stuff. Um, Coca-Cola was, um, I mean, pharmacies were the great, before prohibition, pharmacies were were the place that you went to get carbonated, interesting drinks, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, what's old is new again. Um, so it's, it's, it's just, everybody's in love with um, bubbles right now. But bubbles are cool, and they were cool before. Uh, you know, uh, I think the first carbonated process was in the 18th century. The first, like, really industrial carbonated process was in the 18th century. I, this is not. Um, this isn't new. It's just trendy right now. I mean, because it's cool. Um, bottled drinks. A Hubline had bottled cocktails in the 1800s. I mean, that's just my way of saying, like, people won't look back to now. This is just a blip. Uh, I see. Point of interest for uh, our historically inclined friends out there and listeners. Uh, Hubline is the company that that uh, really first found uh, um, success with selling vodka. They're, they're the guys. Hubline then deteriorated or got absorbed by what is now Diageo also. Do you guys ever see the movie An American Pickle that Seth Rogen did? No, I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> okay. So it's a it's a movie that I've only seen once, but it weirdly sticks with me. Just like multiple aspects of it. And it was like enjoyable. I wouldn't say it's a great movie. I wouldn't say it's a horrible movie. It's just one that I saw once and it sticks with me. And there is a point in that movie where like basically this guy's ancestor was, you know, fell into like this pickle, you know, stuff and was preserved for a hundred years and comes back out. But one of the things that he is fascinated by is the fact that the current version or like, you know, his great, great, great grandson has a a home seltzer like unit. And that was like a, at the time when he was around a hundred years ago, like, you know, having fizzy water was a sign of wealth, like and prosperity and things like that. So I, I do think it's, I, I don't know why I just immediately went to that and thinking about, oh, going back in time and how people have always been fascinated by by that. Um, well, let, let me ask you guys this, because I, at this point, occasionally will try these things. I haven't found one that really works for me. The Topo, the Topo Chico instant, ones or any seltzer? Just any seltzer that has alcohol in it. Like, I just feel like it just gives me an instant headache now and the thing is like i love 
you know, uh, highballs and things like that, which is, I thought I would be a little bit more of the target audience on this, right? A convenient eyeball sounds pretty great, but are there any brands that either one of you, and Jessica, I'll start with you, like, that you've come across and be like, you know what? I do enjoy this one, or um, I'm I'm happy to see this innovation, because it, it does feel like every brand is doing it at this point. Um, no, I, I do them separately. I, it's not that hard um, to pop a, you know, a San Pellegrino and then put something in it. So I, I, you know, I've heard good things about High Noon, but I have not tried it myself. It's um, it's funny that it's you good. say that it's that it's easy because that was actually quoted in the article by the Coca Cola executive. He's like, "We already have the soda, yeah. we already have the cans, we just need to it's buy easy the for booze." Them. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you know, yeah. I like Diet Coke, but I don't put whiskey in it. I, you know, I they're they're separate things to me. I, and you know, my so my teaching partner's bar is happens to be my favorite bar, my my home bar, One Sixteen Crown in New Haven, and. I always I, I asked him a few years ago. I'm like, why is why are your bubbly drinks just better? And he said the same thing to me that um, is tr- was true of Dave Arnold's bar, Existing Conditions. I don't know if you ever went there before it closed, um, in in New York. Um, more bubbles. They turn up. They turn up the bubbles on their on their their bubbler eight um, You need more bubbles in, in your in your your bubbly thing that's not very um good way to put it but um uh and i i've tried soda stream i've tried all those home bubble things i don't want to i don't want to have a bad bubbly drink if i have a highball so i don't i don't want to do a canned cocktail Uh, i mean a canned um a canned bubbly alcohol drink i want to have the best bubbles i can have so i'm i'm sorry um conglomerates i I don't want to buy an rtd (laughs) but you know what i shouldn't say that because sometimes like if you're on a boat that's when that's when it's going to come in handy and you don't want to bring five bottles with you so i would love to hear from you guys what what the best one you've had is yeah, I think there's I think there is a time and place for for it. I mean, I I do think that I I'm still struggling to find that for myself. Um and I'm probably just the association that I make with a lot of those kind of like canned, you know, hard seltzers like your Trulies and stuff like that. I I just kind of feel like the day is going to go a certain way when you're drinking those. Um but but Chris, what about you? I, I mean, I well, know you uh, uh, get exposed to a lot of different things. Yeah, and we um, it's a point of pride for us at, at Good Bottle that we taste every single uh, RTD and seltzer that comes through the door because we say no to a fuckload of them. There's a whole – and people are just – some of these reps are just astounded because um, they, they show up and they're like, every single person we've ever tasted on this loves it. And we're like, okay, let's see. And then, and then they're like, what do you think? We're like, "Mm, it's gross. Sorry. Like we can't, we can't do this. I think that like one of the things with the Topo Chico that I was really, really, really disappointed with is that they're not even using booze. Like they're, they're using malt liquor in that. I'm just like, come on. Like we're not in the 1990s anymore. Like you can, you can put real booze in there. Like the, the laws make that okay. And it tastes better. Everybody knows that it's better. So don't make more booze. So do you have a list for us of what? I do. Sorry. I got my pen out. Sorry. Uh, uh, Let's see. So uh, are we talking specifically seltzers? Are we talking um, RTDs, uh, hard kombuchas? Let's let's do, let's, let's do, um, 
Let's do the hard seltzers. Hard hard seltzers. Um, let, let's see which hard seltzer do I have in the shop right now? Oh, that's a good question. I I actually we have let's see we have um uh a ranch water um that that that's very good um and okay who sells it you're gonna you're gonna hate me here because I have to actually look it up in my in my <laughs> inventory because I can't remember the I can't remember the name uh, it's I, really it's made a website? huge impact oh you, well I we just call it a- ranch water which is you know um which is makes it really easy because then everybody just goes oh ranch water yeah sure um forgive me listeners this is amazing content i know i apologize uh oh it's ranch water spirits hey there we go oh there you go ranch water spirits yep and they put uh the uh the only thing that i'm disappointed with and I'm going to agree with Jessica on this one is uh, not enough bubbles. You need more bubbles in there. Um, it's one of the reasons why the, uh, the, the Toki highball machine that beam Centauri uh, has patented is so dope is because their, uh, their seltzer water that comes out of that thing is just the best, the best bubbles. They're, they're tight. They're not big, fat, lazy bubbles. They're prickly and lovely. Um, and it makes the best, the best drinks, uh, you know, uh, the, the shady lady guys, uh, when they were, when they were building out lowbrow, which is a, um, a beer hall here in Sacramento, they installed a, a glycol soda machine, which has sort of been a, a, you know, a little bit of a pain in the butt for, for the bartenders there to use because they've turned into like such a huge high volume bar. But the bubbles that come out of that are are also really incredible. I remember one time going to another project that they had consulted on, and I didn't know that they had consulted on it and got, um, I think it was just a gin and tonic. And it was some of the best stuff coming out of their soda machine. I just was like, I was like, oh, my God, like, who did this? When I found out, I just like, oh, that makes total sense. Like how, you know, and it was like, a you know, it's a random sports bar, like tucked tucked deep into like right on the outskirts of the um I really I really uh, like that the, sports bar. I I miss it. <laughs> it was the field house? Yeah, field house was, it was a great place. It's still there. I, I know, but it's just different owners and not the same. Right. Right. Um yeah, and so I mean obviously it it does make a huge difference. Now, I think I think we need to give people more to go to when it comes to these canned drinks, because I feel like not only really our listeners down, but, but Jessica as well. So, well, okay. So, so Chris, so what are some go, other canned some... drinks that people should be drinking? I, uh, <laughs> let's see. Uh, Sipony, uh, it, uh, comes out of, comes out of New York, comes out, out of the East coast. Um, Amanda is a long, long time friend of mine. Uh, she left the spirit industry working for other people. Uh, she repped a lot of brands, um, uh, Scotch Society. She repped Belvedere, um, and and she stopped working for other people and created this created this really fantastic brand of um, it's it pretty much a whiskey sour with like honey that's lengthened with soda water. Real, real honey, real lemon, real whiskey. It's delicious. It's fantastic. More people need to drink it. Uh, we carry it. We're we're the first on the West Coast to carry it. It's 
just dope. It's really, really good RTD. Um, on top of that, uh, Salt Point here out of uh, uh, out of California make really beautiful RTDs. Um, legit, the I think the only good margarita in a can that I've had. Uh, I maybe we've had one others, but we we get brought a lot of margaritas in cans, and there's a lot that just shouldn't shouldn't exist. A lot of them are just awful. Um, theirs is very good. Um, we, we've also been carrying a lot of wine in cans recently. Uh, I, <laughs> um, uh, there's a, there's a, a, a wine producer out of, out of, uh, not slow. Um, crap, not Santa Cruz down in tin city. Uh, anyway, they, they make, they make, uh, like co-fermentations and canned cocktails that are just stunningly good, just outrageously good. And they're, they're make they're just having a lot of fun with their cans. Uh, I think that they have a, they have a, a running inside joke that they get more, um, uh, letters of like, like cease and desist letters than anybody else. They like, they made a, uh, they have they they pull grapes from a, a vineyard called Morodew. So when they're making, they make this uh, can wine that they clearly played with Mountain Dew, and they definitely got a cease and desist from Mountain Dew. Um, I they do a great job, and and we buy all their stuff. It's it's wonderful. Nice. Okay. Well, there you go. There's your options to go and explore with your canned offerings. You know who's dope? Them over there. All right, now it's time for my favorite segment. This is our Dope Follows. This is we're going to tell you who you guys should be checking out. Could be a podcast, Instagram account, books, movies, TV shows. Oh, God, what else have we had? All kinds of fun things. So, Jessica, kick it off for us. Who is your Dope Follow? Who do our listeners need to check out? Okay, I have a few. Um Okay. Awesome. <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, couple of distillers. Um, okay. Cause my, my, what did I say? My bread and butter is, is going to distilleries. Um, so two of my, my, fa- I, I love a lot of distilleries, but two of my favorites, um, because I like their products and I like the people, um, our Holy Stone distilling, a small craft distillery in Utah, um, and that's um, Barbie and Mike DeShazo and um, Ethan Miller are the three owners. And they make they make a, a lot of things, which is kind of wild for a tiny place. Um, their um, Navy Strength gin is phenomenal. It is my favorite gin um, for a martini. It is wonderful. And it's my favorite gin. They also make an absinthe and they make a shochu. Huh. Um, and... And they make a, a vodka that is actually interesting. Um, there are some interesting vodkas out there. I'm not, I'm not a vodka person, but they make an interesting vodka if you want to make a Vesper. And Barbie and Mike DeShazo are just wonderful people. Um, and so Holy Stone, spelled with one L, Holy Stone Distilling. Um, and My Lemon Green Whiskey in Texas. They distill in Texas and in Kentucky. And that's the distiller is Marlene Holmes. Um, I've never met Marlene, um, but I know Heather Green, the blender, and she 
she's just phenomenal. She's come out to um, speak to my class and was wonderful with my students. And she's just a very interesting person. And their whiskey is good and it is not expensive. Um, Agreed. Bourbon. Yeah. Um, we, we've carried yeah. we've carried their their whiskey at the shop. It's it it's lovely. And and they do experimental stuff. They do all kinds of stuff, and they're getting better and better. And they're wonderful. Um, so that's my lemon green whiskey and Holy Stone Distilling. And then um, two other things. There's an Instagram account called breadandspirits.com. It's not very big. It's not very old. And that's Yasmin and Stefano. And I don't know them personally, but I learn a lot from Yasmin and Stefano. They are, I believe, um, Italian transplants in the, I don't know where they are. They may be in Germany. They may be in England. They may be in the US. Um, They're about two thirds cocktails, one third food. And I learned so much about flavor and ingredients from Yasmin and Stefano. So that's breadandspirits.com. And I was just talking to, I have a um, research assistant, Margaret Lee, who is wonderful. And I was just talking to her yesterday and we were both agreeing that um, Yasmin and Stefano have the most interesting home bartender account. It's just phenomenal. It's so, really beautiful photographs. I mean, they, it's a, and it's really well curated um, uh, account. Yeah, it's, they're not um, professionals. They don't claim to be. They just do it because they love it. And that what's better than that? I mean, um, and then The Northman. Everyone should see The Northman. Uh, that's the just, movie. It's an awesome movie. It's okay. so good. It's oh, been on my list. Yeah. I haven't had a, I haven't had a free moment really to be able to watch it, sit down and watch a movie. Uh, but I, I've heard great things. One of my uh, one of our local uh, restaurants here that's unfortunately closing. Uh, but the the owner is a good friend of mine, and she was going on and on about about getting her fancy guy uh, abs in in a movie. <laughs> and, and she was there's like, no reason so, for it. She's it's like, it's such a good, good movie, but then also I get like sweaty guy abs, and I was like, good for you. That's that's great. I feel that's I, I love that for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's it's on it's on Peacock. I've been trying to sit down and watch it. But I'm like, I really need to dedicate time to this. I don't want to miss a moment. Uh, those are those are awesome. I do want to I do want to point out that we're gonna need a a, a rub from you and get. Um, Heather to come join us because I reached out to her to be on the podcast and she hasn't gotten back to us. So be like, so reach out to her and be like, Hey, look at your hidden request. That's probably hopefully where it ended up. Cause we, I, I've been following her on Instagram for a while and I just think that she's, she's really great. And then, um, yeah, but that whiskey's also awesome. She's a too. force of nature. She's, she's wonderful. I yeah. get that vibe. We, we, we would love to, we'd love to have her on and, and get to hang out with her for a little bit. Uh, Chris, who's your dope follow? Uh, well, I, uh, based on our conversation today, I've, I've added one more. Uh, so we'll start with the first, uh, the first one, which is, uh, the Instagram account, uh, from a restaurant in Cleveland, uh, called Edwin's. And I, I, uh, I've, my, my dad and family friends really, uh, love going there. They, they've had, uh, just a blast doing it. They, my dad and, uh, the the family friends are my my younger sister's uh best friends parents uh they've been best friends since uh since preschool and 
they live right down the street from each other now and they're both married and they bought houses near each other. And I'm really jealous of that because my best friend lives in, uh, lives in New York city. And, uh, I wish he lived out here. His wife also wishes that they lived out here. So Luke fucking figure it out, dog Buy buy a house in California and be like the rest of us. Anyway, uh, my dad Broke? and these, <laughs> my dad and, and these family friends, uh, they go to Edwin's, um, fairly often what's really cool about this restaurant is it's a restaurant uh entirely staffed by ex-cons um it is a re-entry uh restaurant giving uh giving training and resources to uh to folks re-entering uh society from incarceration and their uh their instagram is edwin's clee c-l-e spelled e-d-w-i-n-s-c-l-e on instagram it's a really it's a really cool concept that uh, i've flirted with over the years Uh, i need to be a lot more of a successful entrepreneur uh, before i can uh, undertake a, uh, a a task such as that but i really i really really admire what they're doing and i i think uh, they deserve more support and more recognition um, the nice. next, the next one is based on, uh, our conversation of, of pharmacies being the, uh, the fizzy drink place. Uh, and, uh, it's a old book, of, uh, that, that was very, uh, instrumental in, in my development as a bartender and it's, uh, Darcy O'Neill's fix the pumps. It's a great, awesome. yeah. great book, um, and I, I still refer back to it pretty often. Uh, also, really easy read and an entertaining read. Uh, uh, bartenders <clears throat> have a lot of lingo that we use, and Darcy goes into sort of a lot of the lingo that uh, that the old soda jerks used to use. Uh, Fix the pumps specifically refers to uh, soda jerks going outside to stare at women's breasts, uh, which is just a really entertaining way to name a book. So uh, go, go enjoy that one. That's great. Okay. So, so I got a few as well. Um, The first one is going to be an Instagram account. It's called reviewing tech. And it's just one of those accounts that actually teaches you how to use your iPhone as someone who doesn't use my iPhone to the extent that I need to, like this guy is really great. And it's just like little tips there's like little tips that I'm like, I'm like, holy shit, that's amazing. Like, did you know that you can set it up to your phone where you just tap the back of it twice and you can have it do different functions for you? So now I just tap the back of my phone twice and it does a screenshot for me. So um, so that's neat. Uh, and there's just all kinds of other things. Like there's like this shortcut app that it uses. I haven't quite figured it out because it's not really my strength, but I'm going to get there. Um The other thing that I want to highlight is our friend and former guest of the podcast, Emma Jansen, received another James Beard Award this past weekend um, for her work on – hold on, I'm pulling up the book right now because I just ordered it. Uh, It was the one that was already out, the one that was like focused on the Japanese cocktails and uh, whatnot. It was The Way of the Cocktail that, um, that she did with Julia Mimose. So, so check that out. And then also the bartender manifesto is going to be going live on June 15th. So she talked about that book in a previous episode. Um, It's, it's available for pre-order now 
on Amazon. You can get it there or your, you know, ask for from your local bookshop, but that's going to happen uh, June 15th. So that time has finally come. So if you, uh, if you enjoy that episode, if you enjoy Emma's writing, um, check out her new book. I'm personally very excited about the bartender manifesto. It's I am like as an well. amazing book. It was a collection of stories from, from a bartender over the last 20 years. So, um, so yeah, so check those out. Congratulations to Emma. Super, super stoked for you. Um, you know, and obviously very well deserved. Uh, so, you know what? I think those were some those were some pretty dope follows, you guys. Good job. The music for the Good Bottle Podcast is orchestrated by the Moore Brothers. If you enjoyed today's episode, please smash that subscribe button and leave us a five-star review. You can also follow us on Instagram or on Facebook at the Good Bottle Podcast or our personal accounts. Mine is D Garrison6, Chris is Chris Sinflair. Jessica, where can they find you on the social medias? How can they reach you? Um, the Academy Drinks. The Academy Drinks. Check it out, you guys. Sorry, I was writing. Ah, my bad. True, finish it up. Uh, if you'd like for us to cover a story, if you're a brand interested and wants to be featured, please email us at the Good Bottle Podcast at Gmail. And as a reminder, you can purchase some of those uh, RTDs at thegoodbottleshop.com. But until next time, guys, cheers. Cheers. Cheers.